The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Isaiah is perhaps one of the holiest men of the Old Testament. His words are incredibly prophetic. From talking about the coming of Jesus to the coming of the end of the earth and the beginning of the new era where Jesus rules. I want to share with you Isaiah the 24th chapter. It's a frightening passage of Scripture. It describes what will happen upon the face of the earth. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers, the world languishes and withers. The exalted of the earth languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws. They have violated the statutes. They have broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore earth's inhabitants are burned up, and very few are left. The new wine dries up, and the vine withers. The gaiety of the trampoline is stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song, and beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All gaiety is banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is burned to pieces. So will it be on the earth and among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten or when gleanings are left after the grape harvest. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. From the west they acclaim the Lord's majesty. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea, from the ends of the earth, we hear singing, glory to the righteous one. I want to stop there a moment. This is a direct word to every one of you who are solid in Jesus Christ. It is a call in the midst of devastation, pestilence, it is a call to lift up our voices and praise the name of Jesus. Raise your voices. Shout for joy. Acclaim the Lord's majesty. Give glory to the Lord. 
Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear singing, Glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away. I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray. With treachery the treacherous betray. Tear and pit snare await you, O people of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of tear will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are opened. The foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls, never to rise again. In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in a prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. We see very clearly in the scripture. I could quote many, many other passages that would say basically the same thing. The pestilence is coming. The destruction is upon us. And we are experiencing that right now in America and in the world as the virus takes the lives of many, many people, as everything is shut down. The stores are closed. All the entertainment is closed. What are you doing with your time and your energy? Are you foolishly petering it away, watching the television, watching movies, doing this and that? No, God has given you a time right now to get right with Him, to repent before Him. But the problem I'm struggling with, my brothers, my sisters, the problem I'm struggling with is that we have believed lies. We have believed false doctrine. I want to share with you what Second Peter, the second chapter says. And you're listening to Springs of, or to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Thank you for tuning in. This is a very sober word I'm going to share with you today. And I'm going to share with you the dilemma that I'm facing as a pastor who preaches on the air and as a pastor who shepherds people, as one who has given his life for seeking the lost. Here's the problem. Second Peter, the second chapter. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Sovereign Lord who bought them, 
bringing swift destruction on themselves. Well, what is that destructive heresy, number one, in America today? It is that Jesus, when he died on Calvary, died for your past, present, and future sins. He did not. He made provision at the cross that all past, present, and any sin in the future could be forgiven. He made the arrangement to redeem you. He made the availability of his blood for you to be washed and made clean. But if you don't feel a need to be washed and made clean, how can he save you? He cannot. Listen. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. The way of the truth is in disrepute today in America. A false doctrine has taken over that tells you that sin is not important, that you're saved, that you don't have to worry. All of your future sins were forgiven. You get a free pass. That's a lie. It is imperative that you seek Jesus now. It is imperative that you be concerned about your soul's condition and make the arrangements necessary with Jesus through repentance, confession of sin. It's necessary that you turn from your sin now, immediately, and get yourself a new heart. These are things that you must do. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, if this is so, then the Lord Jesus knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. And then again, in Second Peter, the second chapter. Verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. A sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Now, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So quickly came this, this virus. Just a few days ago, everything was normal. The stores were open. Everybody was going about. Everybody was working. And suddenly, without warning, everything is slammed to a dead standstill. That's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. Jesus said it would be like in the days of Noah. People would be eating and drinking, getting married, normal life. But suddenly, like in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah, the ungodly would be swept away. Now here's the problem. If you consider yourself not ungodly because you have a false covering of false cheap grace... So you think you can walk in your sin and still be saved? You're in deep, deep trouble. Because the very thing that could save you, you have been vaccinated against. So you have no concern for your soul. This is Second Peter 3, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, you are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you in the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in his letter, speaking to them in about these matters. His letters contain some th some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. The distortion we're dealing with today that is paramount is that you don't have to leave your sin. You are saved in the condition you're now in. Nothing could be further from the truth. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Lawless men are those who say, you can sin and still be a Christian. No, you can't. You can't be in Jesus and in the devil at the same time. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Now, all week we're going to deal with this topic of sin. And I'm going to go back to lay a foundation to Pilgrim's Progress. Now, you may have heard this before. I've read it countless numbers of times, and each time my heart is pierced. I'm going to share this because I want you to catch the dilemma that I'm struggling with for you. Now, the word of the Lord came to John Bunyan while he was not yet saved. And the word of the Lord was audible to him. It was this, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or have thy sins and go to hell? Every man is destined to one or the other. Every man is destined to either walk in the blood of Jesus Christ and be cleansed and changed and transformed into a new creature and leave behind all sin or to face the judgment. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 27. Now Bunyan begins Pilgrim's Progress in this way. As I walked through the wilderness of this world... I came to a certain place where there was a cave, and I lay down in that place to sleep. That cave he's referring to is probably his prison cell. As I slept, I dreamed a dream, and in this dream I saw a man clothed in rags. He was standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house, and he had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and began to read, and as he read he wept and trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? Does that describe you? There must come a time in every man and every woman, every boy and every girl's life, when you come to term with the terms with the reality that you are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and as such, hell-bound. You may be totally unconscious of your sin. You may have seared your conscience to the extent that you would say to me, Pastor, what sin are you talking about? That's only because you can't see yet and you can't hear the Holy Spirit. A precious woman said to me, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm a very good person. I'm not a sinner. I said, Oh, my dear sister, you're a very great sinner. And until you come to terms with your sin and begin to understand who Jesus is, you cannot be saved. 
I looked, and I saw him open the book and began to read, and as he read, he wept and he trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? In this condition, he went home and tried to keep himself for as long as he could, so that his wife and children would not see him in such distress. But after a short time, his anguish had increased so much that he could not remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and his children what was on his troubled mind, and this is what he told them. Dear wife and children, I'm greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavily upon me. Moreover, I've received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless, by a way I do not yet see, some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. This is the first work that begins to take place in a man or woman's heart as they read the Scriptures. They begin to be convicted about their true condition before a holy and righteous God. They begin to see how unlike Jesus they are. The selfishness of their heart begins to be uncovered. The bitterness and the anger of their spirit begins to show up. When the crisis comes, they're explosive with anger, rage, fear. This is all a part of the natural man that belongs to the old carnal nature of Adam and Eve. We were born in their likeness. So all of us have walked in this. None of us have escaped it. But there is a way of escape. Hearing this, his family was greatly amazed, not because they believed what he said to them to be true, but because they thought that he was losing his mind. So as the evening approached, hoping that sleep might settle his mind, they quickly sent him to bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Instead of sleeping, he spent the night in sighs and tears. So when morning came, his family came to find out how he was doing. Worse and worse, he told them. He started speaking to them again about his fears and concerns, but they became very cold toward him. They tried to change his outlook by treating him rudely. Sometimes they would deride him, sometimes they would just chide him, and other times they just flat out ignored him. So he began retiring to his private room to pray for them and to pity them. This is the first sign that the Holy Spirit is beginning to truly get through to this man's heart because he begins to pray for others. He is not totally self-centered. All of us are, in our natural state, totally self-centered. He began to pray for his family. He was also trying to find consolation for his own misery. He would walk alone in the field, sometimes reading, sometimes praying. This is how he spent his days. Then one day I saw the man walking in the field, which he often did, reading his book. 
and greatly distressed in his mind. As he read, he burst out, as he had done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? I noticed that he looked this way and that, as if he would run. Yet he stood still, because he could not decide which way to go. Just then I looked and saw someone named Evangelist coming toward him. He came up to the man and said, Why are you crying out? He answered, Sir, I understand from reading the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. This is what we must all come to. To finally have eyes that see and ears that hear, and know that there is a judgment day coming, and there's no way to escape that judgment without the blood of Jesus washing us clean, leaving our sin, and walking in the newness of life. He said, I'm not willing to do the first nor able to do the second. The evangelist asked him, Why are you not willing to die since life is attended with such evil? The man answered, Because I'm afraid that this burden that is on my back will sink me lower than the grave and I shall fall into hell. And, sir, if I'm not ready to die, then I'm not prepared to go to judgment and from there to execution. Thinking about these things distresses me greatly. Do you understand? These are things we must think about. These are things we must be very clear about. And false prophets and false teachers have slipped in among us in America and taught us that we can have just prosperity in a good time. One national pastor said, Go to church and, and just have a good time. You're God's kid. You're saved. Don't worry about sin. God's not looking at your sin. He's just seeing Jesus when he looks at you. That was a foul-mouthed false prophet. He was speaking a lie. And he was sending people to hell. Bunyan had it right. There was a growing recognition on Christian's part that he was carrying a very heavy burden on his back. Many of you, as I speak to you, have no sense of the great burden that's on your back because it doesn't trouble you. You've made excuses for it. You've said, look, I've done the best I can do. That's all I can do. No, you need to be crucified with Christ. You need to be transformed. You need to be born from above. You need to be changed into the true likeness of Jesus. Evangelist said, If this is your condition, why are you standing still? The man responded, Because I don't know where to go. Then Evangelist gave him a parchment and unrolled it so the man could read it. Flee from the wrath to come. That's the name of this broadcast today. Flee from the wrath to come. When he'd read it, the man looked at Evangelist very carefully and said, Which way should I run? 
Evangelist, pointing with his finger to a very wide field, asked, Do you see that distant narrow gate? No, the man replied. Then Evangelist asked, Do you see that distant shining light? I think I do, the man answered. Then Evangelist said, Keep the light in your eye and go up directly toward it, and soon you will see the narrow gate. And when you finally get to the gate, knock, and you will be told what you must do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. He'd not run very far from his home when his wife and children, realizing what was happening, cried after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! So without looking back, he fled toward the middle of the valley. Now let's break down some of the meaning of this parable. Christian's first reference to heaven is fearsome and foreboding. The place from which fire falls to burn his city, to destroy him. This is where we must all begin with Jesus. It's not about love, love, love. It's about judgment. It's about fire. It's about destruction. Because we have been judged as children of Adam and Eve, worthy of death. All of us have the death sentence upon us if we have not escaped to that narrow gate and entered therein. There are no shortcuts. He doesn't see any promise as he reads this book, only certain doom, unless by a way yet hidden to him, he could escape the, the doom, the fire. Christians' families, confused and alarmed by what they consider unwarranted concerns, they consider him now to be a fanatic. They tell him he should not be concerned about the final destination of his eternal soul. They think he's caught some kind of religious disease, that he's losing his mind. Christian's first mention of praying, as I said earlier, is done for his family, a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is beginning to move deeply in his heart. Christian's first question. What shall I do? Where shall I go? That question is one you must ask. But you will be unwilling to ask that question until you begin to understand the dire situation of your life. Many of you today attend church, consider yourself a Christian, go through all the rituals, even give tithes and offerings, even preach in the pulpit. But in fact, you've never really been converted. You still walk in wickedness before a holy and righteous God. You've never been transformed. You've never been changed. You still bear on your back the burden of sin, but you're unconscious about the sin because you, you don't see the seriousness of your condition before a holy and righteous God. This question is of utmost importance 
what shall I do to be saved? And every man and every woman has to answer that question before a holy God. There must come into us a deep desire to receive guidance from the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit, that drives us to pray and search after Jesus. We must seek the face of God. We must seek the face of God, for only He can change our tragic condition of a sinner before a holy and righteous God and make us into a new creature. Christian meets evangelist. Now, he must be taught the way of righteousness. Evangelist unrolls and reads the parchment, the only message that will successfully direct Christian to the celestial city. That parchment in this parable, this allegory, represents the Bible. And in particular, those truths that implore sinners to repent of their sins and flee from the wrath to come. There is only one way of escape. There's only one way of escape for poor sinners, such as we are or have been. And that is the person Jesus Christ. He alone rescues sinners from the wrath of God. But Christian is blind to this truth. You can hear evangelist asking Christian if he understands. Does he understand what was accomplished for him at the cross? Does he understand the provision that was made for him? No, probably he does not yet. And many of you don't. Squinting, he's looking, he's trying to see that narrow gate, but he's too far from it to see it. Then Evangelist asked Christian, do you see the distant light? I think so. I think so, he says. Evangelist is asking Christian, did you see even a glimmer of hope in the reading of the scriptures? I think so. Jesus cannot be found without the word of God, without the testimony of other Christians. This is a supernatural work of God. It's by grace. It is not earned. It is not something that we deserve. It is a gift of grace. So Evangelist tells Christian, keep that light in your eye and go directly toward it. And as you go you will begin to see the narrow path that is laid out for you. 
So continue reading the Bible until Jesus, the Son of God, is revealed to you in all of his beauty. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? I just shared with you the first part of the chapter of Pilgrim's Progress. Do you understand what I've said? It is impossible for you to be saved if you have never been lost. The place to begin is not trying to force certain obedience. The place to begin is to honestly survey the condition of your life before God. To honestly look with an open mind and an open heart, saying, Jesus, show me who I am. And then show me who you are. Let me see you plainly, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit begins to stir in a man or a woman's heart and draw them out after righteousness, after repentance, after a brokenness with tears for the way we have offended the holy God of heaven. For we have offended God mightily. The Christian faith is not about performing certain duties, being like a certain culture. No. The Christian faith is about repenting of the wickedness of our hearts and reading the scriptures and searching after Jesus until he begins to reveal the true nature of our own heart, the wickedness of our own heart. Many of you have not been able to leave the sin in your life because you have skipped this vital step of humbling your heart before God and letting him teach you who you are in reality before him and why you should be cast into hell. You skip that part. That's the place of the narrow gate where the arrows of the enemy are piercing after us to take our life, where we're burdened down with a heavy burden that we can barely make it. And we cry out and say, Oh God, I need you. This is what I've done. I repent. I'm sorry. I turn from this sin, Jesus. And as you make your way to that narrow gate, following the light of Scripture, you'll find the gate is so narrow, you must leave everything behind. You can't take your baggage with you. And as you make your way to that cross, you'll find that great burden of sin will be cut away. 
and as you confess honestly before God the fullness of your wickedness, as you confess before God the stubbornness of your heart. I've, I've talked with so many Christians, and they say, Pastor, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to do this my way. Oh, I love Jesus. He's my Lord and he's my Savior. He's the sweetest thing I know. I'm not going to do that. How do you deal with that? How do I deal with that as a pastor on the air? There must come... There must come here in Washington a great work of the Holy Spirit as it begins to trouble the hearts and minds of all Christians as well then as pagans. Where he begins to bring a conscious awareness of our true condition before God. Where we stopped fooling ourselves where that hard edge of stubborn self-determination. I'm not going to do that. That's it. If it takes that, I'm not going there. Oh, my brother, my sister. Let the Holy Spirit come and soften your heart today. The glorious reality is that as we come to Jesus and we admit honestly who we are and what we've done and what we think and what we feel and what we say, and we seek his forgiveness, and we turn for a new heart and a new mind, he will give us that. as we turn away from all of our old ways. I just heard about a dear man that came to the prayer chapel a couple times. I couldn't get through to him. He sat stoic, hard. He was so angry. And people would say, well, he's had a hard time in his life. Well, didn't Jesus have a hard time in his life? And he was not angry. No, there's no excuse for anger and bitterness in a man's heart. And I just got news that he died. Did he die angry? I don't know. I wasn't in touch with him. He didn't want to hear this message. But now he's gone to judgment. What's he going to hear when he comes before the throne of God? Look what he did at Sodom and Gomorrah. Look what he did with the children of Israel who for 40 years wandered in the desert dying. This Jesus we serve is not a pushover. He's not soft. 
He's loving. He's kind. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He calls us to praise and worship him even in the midst of total disaster of coronavirus. But he wants us to get real with him and stop thinking we know it all. Stop thinking that we've got it all together. Stop pushing away what God brings to our hearts. Stop pushing away what God wants to do. Do you want God's will in your life? Then humble your heart before him and allow him to begin to reveal to you the reality of the heavy burden of sin that you're carrying, believing that you're saved even though you're carrying that burden of sin. Nothing could be further from the truth. Well, Pastor, are you are you asking us to become fanatics? If that's what it takes, yes. Look, this is life and death we're dealing with. This is the salvation of others we're dealing with. This is the testimony that we're called to bear that Jesus is able to save even the worst sinner among us. And I've said, Jesus, I'm that worst sinner. I have no room for pride or arrogance. I cast myself utterly upon you, Jesus, to be changed and transformed and made into a new creature. I trust Jesus. There's no room for me to think I'm something. There's no room for me to treat people with cool disregard. There's no room for me to act as though I've got it together. All that I have and all that I've done is by the hand of Jesus Christ. So we need to ask a very serious question. I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. What is sin? And I've been asking a number of people that question, and almost everybody says sin is rebellion against God. Okay, I think that's a, that's a fair answer. It's a good answer. But we've got to go deeper. We've got to understand what is the very depths of this sin root that is so deep down into our hearts. We're going to deal with that tomorrow on Pilgrim's Progress. Well, we're just about out of time today. We're coming to the very end of the month, and we are still far, far from having the resources to pay for the radio bill. And now with the coronavirus, I'm just lifting my hands up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I don't believe you're going to let coronavirus take Pilgrim's Progress off the air. But I know unless his people respond and give hilariously, we will not survive this. Hey, I'm just being straight up with you. We are a faith ministry, and if you will respond to the moving of the Holy Spirit to give, Pilgrim's Progress will not be put off the air. Please, you can go to our webpage, National 
prayerchapel.com. You can give online. Or you can mail. Thank you, Ellen. We just got your check. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And don't be afraid to include your address. I'll only send you a thank you note. I don't send fundraising letters. I only send thank you notes. Many of you have not gotten a thank you note for a while. I'll be spending this afternoon writing those. I'm so grateful to those of you who've walked with me so faithfully. Thank you, dear brother. Thank you, dear sister. God bless you. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Let God stir your heart to the very depth. Joy.